Welcome to the Mum Mind podcast, or how to stop your mother falling out of your mouth. I'm Steph McSherry. I'm a mum of two, and I'm a creator. I am the creator, in fact, of Kinderama, which is a multi-activity program for younger kids. I've been working with that age group for around 20 years. Hello, I'm Bethan O'Riordan, and I'm a mum of three, and I'm a psychotherapist. I run the Cam Parenting Club, and I am the author of the self-care planner, How to Live a Balanced Life. I know, I know, crap. I mean, at least I said it in the right order. Um, so each week, Steph and I answer one of your parenting questions and share our experiences, mums and our professional experience to help life be a little bit easier. So if you want us to answer one of your questions, email us themummind at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow or subscri- subscribe because that really helps us when we're... I don't know doing stuff it just helps if you just listen and you don't subscribe it doesn't help but if you subscribe it helps yep there we go in a nutshell hey in a a nutshell so today's question is what do I do while I'm waiting for a diagnosis for my child oh and there are so many people waiting for a diagnosis at the moment it's just it's kind of I feel bad for this parent because it's just like entering a whole new world Um, So we've recently been through this experience and I know lots of people that are currently going through this experience and this can take, this can take years. So it's really difficult. Do you want, do you want to, will I start with what, what the system in Ireland is like what, where you go and what, what the procedure is? Will that help? Yeah, I think so. But maybe just before that, if that's okay. I mean, I was just ready to listen to you, Steph. I yeah, was just, you're just tuning I was in. Like, great. Yeah, I was like, I was like, how do I like and follow this podcast? This is <laughs> this is great. <laughs> um, so I I guess you see, I think the kind of diagnosis you're talking about is like the a, a autism um assessment. Yeah, or right? ADHD or any of those kind of yeah. Yeah. And and I think just to preamble it with language, yeah. I think might be important because, you know, we have a play, there's a play therapist who comes into the camp parenting club mm. and she's really open about um, her work and her family life as well. And I always think, what is the language that we use? And she says, well, I read somewhere recently a recognition of someone's autism or a recognition of someone's ADHD. But I think it is also okay to say the assessment or, uh, you know, I I think sometimes we get in such a muddle about saying the right thing, but it's like, however it is for you and your family, it's okay. And the other thing is like the spectrum of assessments. I mean, I meet people who are waiting for CAMs for mental health issues, for suicide. Mm. Um, I'm talking children and adults really, but um, children and young adults. And by that, I mean, kind of the teenagers. So I guess to preamble this podcast, we'll kind of try to be cover a, a little bit of all of it, you know, yes. whether it's the mental health, the suicidal thoughts, the anxiety, the self-harm, or whether it is the querying, the autism, the ADHD. It's a very similar um, approach to what you need to do as a parent. Yeah. And I guess this parent is talking about what they can do while they're waiting. So, I mean, in that regard... Yeah, it's just that they can be waiting an awful long time and I'd hate for somebody to sit there and go, well, we'll wait for that and then in a couple of years' time we'll know the answers because I don't think the system works that way at all. Yeah, so do you want to talk about your experience of the system in Ireland? Yeah, so um, we had issues with one of our kids a couple of years back and actually it was a friend that recommended 
that we went down the CAMS route and the assessment of need route purely because she knew from personal experience the waiting lists were really long and potentially we could get seen by one much quicker than the other and that one would kind of say so for example cams does like you mentioned there does it can diagnose things like adhd anxiety depression eating disorders psychosis all of those things did i say depression i did yeah so all self-harm like you said so that's the mental health side of things and then an assessment need is i think it's is i think it's just to assess what your child may need um but particularly on the autism spectrum yeah is that right yeah i just wonder if it's important if we say what cams is because i guess it's like um you know we are in the inner circle we totally know what cams is but cams is c a MHS yeah. Children and Adults Mental Health Service. Yes. Because often people think I'm talking about cans, like cans of Coke. <laughs> or yeah, so just so you know, that's what it is. So CAMS is the government body for assessment of needs of children, stroke support of children, and it's the children and adult mental health service. And all of this is public publicly funded assessments right so people can yeah. go and get privately assessed and this is what my friend said but the, i think at, as we are speaking in february 2023 the, the issue with that at the moment is that the hse so that like the irish equivalent of the nhs don't recognize that private diagnosis it can help but it's not going to move you so if your child needs help at school or you need access to publicly funded services that private assessment isn't going to help you. It might help you to know what's going on with your child. And they're very expensive. I think that the starting level is about 450 euros. Okay. But you wouldn't be waiting as long. So, yes. So a couple of years back, we had a few issues. The friend has recommended that we go down both routes because one might rule out something and also refer on to the other service which is exactly what happened so we started in the cat the cams the cam saw us within about 18 months <laughs> sounds wow. well, yeah and that felt relatively quick we were expecting it to be waiting longer and i have to say my experience of cams was brilliant we yeah. saw professors and doctors very quickly and if we saw one we, it, there would be a follow-up within a couple of weeks and then if they said they were going to see us again in four weeks, we'd see them again in four weeks. You know, they were very good once we were in the system. Okay. And then we got to the point where they said, we feel you actually need an assessment of need and we're going to refer you on to them. So even though I had already applied for an assessment of need, they kind of backed that corner, if you like, and said, yes, we also feel it took us just over two years to get our very first call from the assessment of need people so two years plus the 18 months no two two years full stop okay but meanwhile we had done the cams route so i was very glad that we had done both because yeah. then i felt kind of validated that we were going down the right path um and i guess that whole assessment of need process from start to finish probably took six months in itself as in yeah. from the second you spoke to somebody through to your appointment, through to your child's appointment, through to the actual assessment, through to a report being given to you. So it's a long, long time. Yeah. So I guess that's what we're talking about, really, kind of what can be done 
meanwhile what you can do as a parent yeah and I mean I would meet lots of people whose children are waiting for the assessment or to meet somebody for mental health issues you know so say for suicidal thoughts or for self-harming and that wait list is up to two years as well is it really so they don't kind of triage this and say this is this is more important I honestly don't know I mean I, I I sort of I don't get too caught up yeah, in okay. the, the sort of ins and outs of CAMS because it can, it's just a big distraction. Yes, because right? you're trying to help the people in front of you there and then. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and you see, I think when you're in crisis, I mean, when your child is self-harming or suicidal or when you're querying their behaviours in terms of autism, ADHD, anxiety, it is a crisis within the family. Yeah. And crisis doesn't have to be, we, we watch Chicken Run at the weekend, so this is this is going to be my point of reference for this podcast. Okay. But, you know, it doesn't have to be kind of flapping around headless chicken crisis. Yeah. It can just be, this is this is huge. This is absolutely huge because it changes the dynamic. It changes the focus. You know, a lot of people I meet have one child who's waiting to, for an assessment, but also have one or other children. Yeah. So how do you balance all of that? Yes. You know, and, and that's and that's really hard. And I think a lot of this is kind of um, the hand that life dealt. Mm. You know, I mean, it's nobody's fault that that child has those needs. It's not the other child's fault that they feel left out or unheard or, you know, they, they, they I don't get the luxury of all these appointments for me, mm. you know. So the solution. Well, one of the solutions is this. What I say to people is it doesn't, in one way, I don't want people to start chucking rotten tomatoes at their, however they listen to this on their phone or wherever. <laughs> in one way, it doesn't matter the outcome of the assessment. And I know it does in terms of support and services, right? Yes. But you as a parent need to figure out the language of your child anyway. So you can start to figure that out from the moment you want to. Well, and how right? how... How are you going to kind of, I want to say arm yourself, but you know, how are you going to tool up? Because with the diagnosis, without a diagnosis, you, you're going to be the same issues as are happening, right? Yes, it's the same child regardless. Yeah. Yes, it can be really nice to have the validation you know, more than nice. It's kind of like taking the pressure off, like, oh God, right. So there was something all along, Yeah. you know, rather than just people saying your child is bold or they should sit down or they should be on technology less or all the beautiful mm. coping skills that parents have learned for their child that other people comment and judge and criticize. Mm. So yes, you know, it's about tuning in to your child and starting to figure out well, what makes them what are their triggers? What drives them bananas? What can't they tolerate? And how can I support them within that? Yeah. And I, I, I'm going to say my experience because I, I guess I can't speak for anyone else. But I, I feel like mums in particular find this really difficult to talk about. And I feel it's okay. really important to talk about it because there are so many of us going through it. I bumped into a parent at the playground the other day who, whose child is in the same school. She happens to be a teacher. I'm a teacher. And we were talking about kind of the levels of different things that are going on. And I happened to mention the child that we've just been talking about. And then she mentioned her child. And, uh -huh. I, and I didn't know. And 
I, I don't know, it's almost like shame is the wrong word, but it's, we kind of play these cards very close to our chest. We're, we're not really very open about it. And I don't know what, where that comes from. I think people are reluctant to talk about it. They're worried about people's reactions. Yeah, I mean, people don't like things that are messy, do they? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, people don't like anything that's messy. And we can all be like, oh, you know, let's include everyone. And, you know, it's okay to not be okay. But not being okay is also messy. Not being okay is um, screaming and shouting and being dysregulated. And it might be punching someone, biting them. It might be all these things. And I mean, I'd say the vast majority of people find that really hard. Yeah. I remember being in the playground once in Fitzgerald Park and this little boy, you know, the way like it's kind of sand based in the middle. Yeah. And this little boy came and just did a wee there and the mom went, oh my God, I'm really sorry. He has autism. And I was like, I don't mind. Like, you know, we'll just scoop up the wee in the sand. It was very nicely compacted. And <laughs> we just, we, we threw it somewhere else. She put it in a bucket. I was like, I don't care, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's not his fault. And I, think, I do think I think it's the behavior side of things that people find difficult because of the judging because of the the comments you know if if your child you know if if it was something physical you'd say oh yeah they, they were born with one arm you know what yeah. you know but it's because it's I don't know it's because it's the mental side of things it's because it's the behavior side of things I think we're still a country that are finding that hard to talk about yeah, I think so. And and I think this is, I mean, whatever diagnosis a child has or doesn't have or whatever needs they have, I think the ask is always of the parents, well, can you accept me? Can you stand over me? And can you treat me the same and be the same parent regardless? Yeah. You know, can you just stand there? I, I often imagine kind of being like this care bear mom. Do you know, you know, like the Care Bear Tommies they mm. had here and they just beamed stuff out. It's kind of like, yeah, my child did that. What's the problem? I will help them learn that that is something that maybe we could change for another time. Yeah. I'm not going to punish them. I'm not no. going to reef. I'm not going to reef them out of it. And especially if this stuff for a neurodiverse child is their language. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I think it's the acceptance of that. And for the parents, that is hard because, you know, I meet lots of parents who have to grieve the child that they thought they were going to get. Yeah, you know, like, well, we didn't think we would have a child who couldn't attend mainstream school. We didn't know that they would have to go into a unit that we'd have to fight for the unit we'd have to. And there's a lot of grieving around that. And that is OK. Mm. You know, it's OK that you didn't think parenthood would be like this. And it's okay to be angry and disappointed and upset and and at the same time, totally stand over it. Be like, this is my child and I love them for all of their pieces of them. Yeah, and you and of course you do. And you almost turn into this warrior style mum, like, you know, I, I've got you. I've got you. We're going to be okay, no matter what. Yeah, but I do also meet lots of parents who don't do that. Okay. You know, I do meet lots of parents who... I haven't found that place in them yet okay and 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 that's okay because it's all part of it right yeah you know I wasn't born knowing how to raise my kids I had to figure it out and it was a rocky road it was a roller coaster for a few years um but what I would say is that you know parents say to me I've been offered four or five six appointments with cams but I phoned them back and said I don't want to meet you I want you to meet my child and I say yes 
I get all of that, but you have the most influence over your child because you're, you live with them. You have this amazing opportunity to figure this out and be supported at the same time. Like I will meet your child, but I will meet your child for an hour. Mm. You have the luxury of 24 hours and that can be a very hard 24 hours, but I can support you to find balance within that. You know, And that's the bit I think parents find hard is the talking about it or finding their own support because you need it even with your in your own relationship between the parent of the child and yourself you know to be able to offload and be able to say today's been a really tough day or this child has had a really tough week or whatever it may be to actually say it um yeah. really helps relieve that pressure yeah absolutely and uh, and you know i meet a lot of parents so i think all diagnosis stuff there is a spectrum you know, and I would meet parents whose children are one in, say, of the autism spectrum where they can't really leave the house because they're or they find it incredibly difficult to. You know, I'm thinking of of, of one family where the child was in nappies and they used to just take their nappy off and rub feces everywhere. And this was like a nine, 10 year old child. And and then they would say, God, I'm speaking to this person whose kid has a diagnosis of autism and they just like go to a mainstream school. And I think it's okay to even, I mean, everything is okay. Yeah. It's okay to be like, and you know, the bomb would say to me, they don't know how lucky they have it, mm-hmm. but it's also okay. You know, the biggest thing I think we can ever do is pay attention to our own struggles, our own suffering, rather than compare ourselves to others. True, true. And I you do know. think that spectrum, I remember hearing Stephanie Preisner, the author, um, talking about she she was diagnosed with autism as, as an adult. And she was saying that she finds in particular that the, the spectrum is so vast that actually it can be quite unhelpful. Yes, like it would be better if there was, um, it's kind of like lumping people into this bracket of other yeah you know and you know one one version of autism can look very different to another version of autism so it's almost it doesn't need grading or anything but even if it had different names it would be more helpful for everyone to understand because i kind of know what that mum's saying if you've a child that's non-verbal and and you can't leave the house it's very different to having one that that is very smart and talks a lot and and perhaps just doesn't pick up on social cues yeah you know they're, they're, they're very different things but look it is what it is at the moment yeah yeah what I was gonna say was I think it's really hard but it is what it is at the moment and the most important part of all of this I think of everything like a funnel you know because I know the assessment of going to the doctor trying to get on the list trying to trying to trying to the fight the fight the fight but all of this funnels down into one or two people and that's yeah. the parents. Yeah. You know, so the most important thing parents can do is steady themselves within this. And, you know, I speak with parents and they say, but sometimes I feel like my heart is going to jump out of my chest. I'm beating so fast with anxiety about what's going to happen. Or, you know, parents scared to go to the toilet without their phone in case they miss the call, you know, yeah. with the with the any with the last minute cancellation. And and it's really hard to live in that high-end kind of place so the most important thing has to be the parents and looking after themselves yeah. and, they, and 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 it is and can be stroke is totally life-changing you know yeah and so to maybe reach out to a really good friend 
um, someone that you know is going to help kind of carry you through that process or a counsellor, yeah. a therapist. And I know I got really bad at talking to my partner about it. I carried a lot of it and then I'd explode sometimes, you know, to, yeah. at him basically because yeah. I wasn't able to say, actually, you know, this has been a really challenging couple of weeks and it's been challenging because of this, that and the other. And now I feel like, you know, I'm just so depleted. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the communication goes in understanding the child, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, it's kind of like, okay, I need to figure out this from this way. But there's also another way that you all parents need supported within it as well. Um, I think, you know, also I've met many parents who find some forums really helpful. Yeah. You know, but also to watch out with the forums. You know, some of the parent forms can be really, really great and some can just be totally overwhelming and overloading and um, I don't want to say scaremongering, but just too much. You Do know, you mean we are... like Facebook group type things that? Yeah. Thing? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of one reason why I set up the Camp Parenting Club, not to plug it, but just because it's a low cost online way of getting professional support. Well, and it's very... Mm -hmm. It is very supportive, but it's also, it's full of parents that are having their own struggles that completely get it. Yeah. And it, might, it. it might not be waiting on a diagnosis, it could be something completely different, but you know, they'll recognize something in another parent. Yeah, I think so. And, and I think having the play therapist there who can offer the, just something different, you know, and her expertise is working with families who have a diagnosis, whether it's the parent or the child of ADHD and autism and, mm. you know, working with neurodiverse children. So, you know, I, I, I think we are, we are sensory creatures, you know, we are stimulated through our senses and sometimes being on a forum and scrolling and chatting to other people, it is, it overloads the brain. Yeah. You know, sometimes you don't need more information. You need support in how to do what you already know to do. And I think you need to niche down. That's why I love the Calm Parenting yeah. Club, because, you know, these 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 parents feel very tangible. They feel very near. They feel very, you know, like a, a community, a very small community. Whereas I have been on some of those Facebook groups where suddenly you realize there's thousands of parents and maybe most of them are based in the US. So their yeah. experience is very different to what we're experiencing or even the UK, the UK system is very different. And it, that can be overwhelming if you're in that space and actually their information is different, their support system is different, their diagnosis system is different. It, it's not very helpful because that's not what you're going through yeah and and I mean I'm really big into not into I don't know how to say this right into information overload yeah you know I mean the great things about our phones the great things about the internet computers is that, that I mean you, know, you can get information on anything but is it the right information for you and that's where I say well step away and tune into your child did, did did that thing go well or did it not go well well that's probably not the right thing or yes let's do more of that yeah you know so it's really important I mean information is super but tuning into your child I'd say is the, the most important thing and and actually that, that can be really hard to do because I yeah. think I'm and I've been guilty of it in the past 
I need more information because if I get more information, I'll be able to help this child more. If I, if I get more, I'd be able, but actually then you're missing, you're missing the opportunity to connect and tune in and watch and listen. And like you so often say, just being there, just being there. Yeah. Because I, you know, I say to parents, well, what if you were enough? What if what you knew already was enough? And people say, but I don't know anything about autism. I don't know anything about being neurodiverse. I don't know anything about ADHD or self-harm or suicide. Or so. Maybe you know enough. Maybe you know what you need to know already. And it's actually just figuring out the language between you and your child. And I know that information, I always think of it kind of a bit like a false narrative or a false economy. You know, yes, we all need information. I mean, of course we do. You know, um, I'm not naive. But I think it's a, it can be a pure distraction. Well, especially you know, and- these days. My God, there's so much of it. Like we're walking yeah. around with these little machines that can provide information nonstop. And I, I, and I wonder where the quiet moments are. Yeah. And, and, and I think as well, you see, so in the therapy world, there's a mode of therapy called compassion-focused therapy. And what it does is it, it talks about many things, but I think one that's really important, I want everyone in the world to know about this, is that it puts our emotional regulation system in three circles. So red is our threat system. We're totally stressed, we're overwhelmed, we're anxious. The blue is the doing, and the green is the soothing system. And the systems talk to each other. They We move between one and the other in a, in a nanosecond. The circles get bigger, the circles get smaller. But when we are feeling anxious and when we're feeling in our threat system, we are often motivated to do things, you know, like go off and, oh, okay, I'm just going to go and research this now. And we go and we do. So it's almost like a kind of, um, uh, I see it in my mind uh, almost as like a magnet, like there's a draw, you know, our, uh, the anxious part of our body is like, okay, we need more, more, more. That's going to be the solution. But of course, it's not the solution. That is kind of like feeding the flames. That is putting coal on the fire. Oh. That is that is like more. Oh my God, I need more. I'm in crisis. I need more. But of course, we don't. What we need more of is connection. We need more feeling safe. We need more feeling cared for. We need more feeling good. And that happens through friends, music, books, gardening, walking, anything that makes you feel connected. Even listening to podcasts like I love Spoken word for me is one of the most amazing ways for me to just relax and feel good. Um, So this is where research and more information is kind of a false narrative. Having said that, you need to find your support package as well. You need to find the people, whether it's professional services or friends. And that that does involve a bit of research, obviously. Yeah, but we we can all do that. Like, uh, I think I was the world's worst for the doing bit. Oh, we'll give you a prize. Yeah, you know. uh... (laughs) But everybody is though, Steph. And it's all part, I mean, it's all part of the process of that funnel I was speaking about. I mean, there's there's like not many parents who were born in this kind of like Zen state of, I am just going to be with you. Yeah. (laughs) No, that is not the way that we have been trained in life. You know, the way we get trained is, okay, something's happening. I'm going to read about this. I'm going to tool myself up with loads of information. You know, I'm going to distract myself from what I'm feeling over here because I'm, I've got the false narrative going on that this is, and that is okay. Yeah, That is the gift of these kids. 
the gift of the children and all children diagnosis or not or assessment or not is that really what they're making us do is slow down and tune inwards because that is the way that things become easier and better and less complicated so yes you may have been the world's worst but you were amongst friends within yeah. that step <laughs> I think lots of people alone. listening to this are kind of going oh that's what I'm doing and it's because yeah. especially when you have a neurodivergent child or a child whose behavior is difficult or that you're just coming to terms with what's going on it can be hard to just be with them because yeah. of course then it's in your face constantly yeah absolutely and the way our brains work is I mean when someone is there and, and it can be aggression or it can be, you know, I'm thinking of the moms I work with who kids self-harm, you know, when they see plasters on their kid, they just totally freak out inside, you know, obviously, mm. obviously, yeah. right. But it's also possible to go from that place to a place of like, well, I've got this and you can flip between the two, you know, yeah. now I'm this and one second later, now I am this. And it's like this idea of practice. You know, we practice our neurons, we practice our brains taking us to a place of stability inside so that whatever is going on around, there's a part of us, it might not be all of us in every moment, a part of us is like, oh, okay, I can do this. And that yeah. starts with the awareness, right? That starts with, I don't have to react this way. I know I yes. find this difficult, so I'm going to take a minute and then I'm going to react in a different way this time. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head. Children may never change. Yeah. And they don't have to change. Yeah, because that, that parent that's written in and said about the waiting on the diagnosis, the first letter we got after the diagnosis was you're on a wait list and it's going to be four years. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, part of the puzzle is done, but then it feels <laughs> like you're starting another 1000 piece jigsaw over here, you know? So, yeah. so I just don't want anyone to think that the diagnosis is the bit that you need. And yes, there is some validation. Yes, there is some relief. Yes. You know, support is coming, but meanwhile, nothing changes yeah so you've still got to get there <laughs> yeah but of course within that the caveat is nothing changes apart from you as the parent you know and and, and I would say to people you know we can really pathologize children. It's so much easier to look at a child's behavior, look at their bizarre things they're doing and see them as being wrong and need to change, you know. And I see a lot of the time where, where parents accidentally pathologize their child and, you know, like you are the problem. And I say, well, maybe no one's the problem, but maybe you as the parent, you're the solution, you know, and, 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 and that's it. So I would say to parents, well, what do you, you know, so someone who's fresh out into this, you know, they say to me, well, where do I start? I mean, like, where do I start with this huge mountain I have to climb? And I said, well, what are the bits that you find the hardest? Because say a child might have oodles of needs. There's loads of things that, that the child finds really hard. And I say, well, what is the bits that you find the hardest? Because you figuring out a plan for that is also vicariously helping your child with that too. Because if you can understand that part of you and how to manage that bit, then you share those skills with your child, you know? So if the, I don't know, if the Lashing reactive, out. yeah, if yeah. the reactive part of your child, if them 
whatever it is. I mean, we can help children with coping skills, but it might take years and years. I mean, I have coping skills that I do not bring on board all the time. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, so can we expect a four, five, six, seven, I don't know, up to 16, 17 year old child to? Not really. But you as the parent, you can be like, okay, well, I find this bit really hard. So I will make a plan for me around this. Yeah. That is a big change. Yeah. And perhaps to stop looking at this, that, you know, we need to fix this. Yeah. Because things might not be fixable. Yeah. You know, there is no neat, tidy bow. Like, you know, God, that was great. We've got that sorted now. What it is, is a development of a relationship and helping everybody become them. And so often this involves the theme of shame, mm. the theme of guilt, the theme of worry of the future. What happens when you're not around? Guilt is a huge one. Stuff. That parent I bumped into the playground said oh. exactly. And I'd never heard someone say it before, but she said, you know, I did everything right. I had the right food. I exercised. I rested. Yeah. It's not about that. No, and again, back to the compassion, so much of life is out of our control. Mm. And if we can resign ourselves to that, then we're halfway there. You know, like we're all born into a family that we didn't choose. We have a set of genes that we didn't choose. I mean, that really dictates a whole heap and we didn't choose any of that. So the end of that sentence is, well, this isn't your fault. This isn't the parent's fault. It's not the child's fault, but... You can be supported to take responsibility for the here and now. And that's that's all we can do, you know? Yeah. But I know it can take a while to get to that place. So let's do our little summary. <laughs> well, you do that because oh, I'm, I'm, no. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at um, that bit. I guess the first is awareness. Awareness that even though you're waiting for a diagnosis that many things are probably not going to change in a short space of time so an awareness that you're going to need support you're going to need to to be compassionate to yourself or ask for extra help from family or your partner or a good friend you know I'm going to need to chew your ear off a couple of times a week just because that's what I need to do whatever it is I need to be able to get out for a run three times a week I need to be to be able to cope with this work out what you need to be able to cope with this um to just be sometimes to just be with your child and kind of figure out start putting that puzzle together for yourself start yeah. working out what works for them what doesn't work for them yeah um what about parents where the child is suffering from the suicidal and the and the self harm I would not wait for cams in that okay. situation. You know, you cannot wait two years. No, that, that is too late. You know, um, again, I mean, parents, there is so much you can do to help your child who's self-harming or feeling suicidal. In, in fact, you're probably the biggest change. So you going to therapy is as important as your child going to therapy or getting support another way and the other thing like I'm really aware that all of this is money isn't it yeah. you know you've saved you money 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 so I mean there is great low-cost therapy available you know I mean you can go onto the IACP website and you get therapy with trainee therapists and it can be like 10 15 euros an hour there is free therapy available as well you know because 
I never want parents to have to make that decision. Do I pay for my child's therapy or my therapy? Mm. Both. Everybody needs it. Everybody needs it. Because remember, the child won't change alone. You know, uh, and I think, yeah, the child, the, the child can't change alone. Yeah. Yeah. So you become like a massive, sp- I'm picturing like a sponge around yeah. them, you know, to, to kind of mop up all the messy stuff. Yeah. And, and the thing is, what I was going to say, and then I stopped because I couldn't get it out. I couldn't get it right in my head. I have it right now is, is that as the parent, remember, you don't have to be their psychologist. You don't have to be their occupational therapist. You don't have to be their play therapist. You don't have to, you don't have to be all of these things. Your child just needs you to be their parent. Right. And herein is where the fun begins. You know, but I, I think sometimes people say, well, now I've had to become this and this. I say, well, maybe, maybe, but maybe not. Y- you know, it's okay to be, meet the professionals, listen to what they have to say, take it on board, see how it fits for you, fam, for your family. But don't put yourself under pressure to become those things because being the parent is enough. And maybe, just maybe, you know what to do already. And I know you didn't want to plug it, but I'm going to plug it. I'm going to plug the Calm Parenting Club purely because (laughs) for me, it's so beneficial, the support network of the parents, but also you. So people have access to you. They can leave you a message or put in the group, this is what I'm struggling with. And you will answer that with a lovely video addressing that. There's a beautiful play therapist. So if your kid is neurodivergent or any of those those things um she'll also answer brilliant questions so much information from her that i you know two years in didn't know um yeah and she also kind of gave ways of coping with it there was a certain behavior i was finding really difficult and you know she basically said well you know that child is just offloading and you don't actually have to to listen you can tune out you know you can you can just be in the room I was like oh okay and that actually yeah. that lightened the load so much because I thought I was going to be quizzed on it later yeah. <laughs> taking notes and everything um, yeah so that that really helps um and I just think for the value of, for money yeah I mean it's the permission it's the permission that it's okay however you want this parenting world to look you know and and yeah I mean it is low cost and it is that way so people can be there and get this I mean I've been working with families for over 15 years you know Louise the play therapist she's I don't know she used to be a teacher as well so she adds that extra kind of you know, so many parents are like, I just can't get my kids to do what they're meant to do in school. They don't sit down. They are hugely disruptive. They're, and she's like, great. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And she kind of flips the perspective on its head because it's like, you know, do yeah. we need these kids to conform and you know, go through hell on earth to try and look like the other kids? Or do we allow them to be what they need to be? And actually half the time, and this is coming from my teaching experience, trying to get them to do what other kids are expected to do is what drives them nuts. You know, yeah. you know, trying to get them to sit still. If you're spending your whole day trying to get a child to sit still, I think we've lost the point somewhere. You know, if that yeah. child needs to wander around to learn his maths, so what? How bad? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, 
So you know, the well, world thank is you. A changing. Well, thank you, thank you. And I th- <laughs> but 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 you're right. Like the world is a changing place, and 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 I think the more that parents can advocate for their child, you know, parents often get in touch and say, "I'm going to have a meeting with the school." I say, "Great," but be your child's advocate. You know, you don't have to go and just agree that they're bad. Yeah, they're bad. I'm going to get them to change. Yeah, and on that, that isn't going to happen. And just <laughs> you know? as a f- kind of final point you know just purely coincidentally the school my children are in were so supportive with or without a diagnosis what does your child need we will give it to them and i know and you know there are schools that are not like that and if your child is in a school that kind of aren't aren't happy to do that maybe if it's possible look around yeah Um, because i think you know that's where they spend an awful lot of time you really need the school on board yeah, and I mean, I think it's like anything, when you send your kid to school, you don't know what your kid's like, you don't know what the school is like, I mean, you do kind of, but then sometimes we're just not the right fit for places, and it's kind of, you know, it's not you, it's me, I know what I need and I can't get it here, Yeah. rather than like, God, the school's terrible. Yeah, you know? it doesn't have to be a, a war. <laughs> no, 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 no advocates for war. Okay. So thank you very much. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Kinderama is a multi-activity program for younger kids. It's full of music, imaginative play, adventures, ball skills, dance, drama, and all for the under sixes. We have an online program at kinderama.com. And if you use the discount code mummind20, you can have 20% off an annual membership. 